Hello, 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 and welcome back to the IBS Freedom Podcast. We are joined once again by the stupendous Amy Hollenkamp. Howdy, howdy. (sighs) And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about red flags. This kind of reminds me of the Instagram reels that were going around maybe a year ago where it was like, you know, the audio was like red flag. Right. And, uh... I'm curious, you want to prep the dear viewers at home and tell them what what sort of stuff are we going to be talking about today, my sweet? Tell the the good people. So we're going to, we've planned on doing this like a a two-parter here. Mm -hmm. And the first part, or I don't know which one we want to do first, but we're talking about red flags mainly in a sense of what can you look out for both externally as being a red flag, so from providers or people caring on the internet or you know some of these external voices or ideas or strategies that might like again prompt a red flag for you um like what to look out for from external sources um through your gut journey and then i think we're talking where we want to do a part two or I don't know what which one we're doing first, but we also want to talk about internal red flags as if you're thinking or doing certain things or feeling certain things, um, that those can be red flags too for certain things. Um, yeah. So we want to do like an internal red flags, but also an external red flags. And I don't know which one you might want to pick the poison as to which one we do I feel first. Like let's let's start with the other people, the external okay. red flags, if okay. you will, first. Um and again, these could come from like a loved one or right. again, Karen on the internet. Um, side note, poor, all Karens just get such a bad rap now because we use that name like that. Uh, for the record, one of my very favorite patients ever was named Karen and she's lovely. So Karen, if you're listening to this, do not take offense. But um, I've had a couple yeah, of like Karens the, too. Yeah, like the people, the people on the internet and the Facebook groups, or it could be your provider. But these are things where we hope after hearing this conversation today, if you hear or read this in the future, you're you're gonna have a little part of your brain that pops up and goes, whoop, 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 whoop. that's right. maybe not such a good thing. I need to have my wits about me. Um, I think one of our favorites, I'll kind of lead us off if yeah. you don't mind. One of our favorites that we've definitely talked about before, but it bears um, reminding is if you are given a super restrictive diet and it's like a little one to two page handout, and it's just like, here, go low FODMAP. Here's your one piece of paper handout. Right. Bye. Like, figure it out. Or, I mean, the same thing could be said for if you do a whole 30, and you just have this one little piece of paper, or if you do the Repairvite diet, or AIP, or, you know, SCD, if you do some restrictive diet, where you're cutting out more than like, a single food. um, I think that that is pretty red flaggy, and you should really be referred to a nutritionist or a dietitian, or at least work with somebody who can give you more handholding and more advice. And make substitutions with you. It's not just about cutting shit out. It's about adding things back into your diet as well. But I'll let the RD take it from here. Yeah, no, I love that we're starting out there. And I think it's almost to, well, there's two issues here. Like, so if you're getting no guidance whatsoever on how to implement the diet, that's a big red flag. Um, And I also think if there's no timeline as to how long you're supposed to be on this diet and how you're going to come off the diet, that's a red flag. 
And I also just think if the practitioner is very rigid in their approach, so like you have to do this, like even if you're not feeling well on the diet and they're saying Mm. like you have to continue on and that could go with any diet too, like keto, whole 30, like what you're saying, like if you're not feeling good going keto and the practitioner is like, well, you're just not doing it right, like or kind of mentality, that's a big, big red flag because we always want to listen into how our body's responding to these different diets. And if your body is not responding well to the diet, then that's the ultimate like answer for you that it's just not a good fit. And again, if a provider is kind of butting heads with you or thinks this is the one way that everybody should eat. Mm-hmm. Like again, if, if the practitioner is like a keto guy and he ketos for everybody, like it's, it's a bit, <laughs> right. It, it's a, it's a big red flag. I think again, like, I almost think it boils down to like how rigid is the practitioner on the diets and um, again, how well can they actually help you implement the diet and how to in coming off the diet. Um, There shouldn't be like an, just an ongoing forever SIBO diet. You should be able to come off of it and reintroduce things, which I think a lot of practitioners are very poor at, um, at doing those things. Like they get very rigid in their thinking. They get, they don't help people implement. Um, and I wish that a lot of like even functional practitioners worked with dietitians or like a nutritionist or someone that could at least help with the implementation. If you were going to do a stricter diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say too, is I think there's, I mean, it could be a red flag in and of, of itself is like this knee jerk reaction to go to the most extreme restriction, like the mm-hmm. most extreme yes and no food list versus being like, what are your triggers? Like, I think I, if some practitioner just tends to be leaning way more restrictive, um, then you need to be like, you know, that you tolerate apples and onions, but they want you to go full low FODMAP, even though you know, you tolerate a lot of the foods, like, and you tell them that and they're not listening or they're like doubling down that you have to do this or you'll feed the SIBO or whatever, um, mm. then that would be red flaggy to me too. Um, and I feel like I just babbled. Like there's a lot of little, I think, pieces to this I, I, that could be red flaggy. So I'm like, blah, 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 a red flag here, red flag there. I, I think you actually gave us like three or four red flags all right. in a row. So I'll right. try to parse them out a little bit. Right. But yeah, you know, to be quite honest, we've talked about this before. And like, I know we talked about this in the FODMAP, the low FODMAP diet episode. The low FODMAP diet has a never, ever, ever been shown to starve SIBO, right? No diet has ever been shown to starve SIBO. So that's it. it, It's unproven at best. And it's a flat out myth at worst. Um, Two, though, if you follow Monash or if you take their course or listen to any of their materials, they are really, really, really painfully clear that you do the elimination phase only as restrictive as you absolutely need to. Mm. Like if you if you have any sort of history of disordered eating, if you have, you know, a work and a life schedule that's not conducive to preparing meals and you're out and about all the time if you are already underweight, like they, first of all, they recommend doing a modified low FODMAP, if anything, where it's basically just like, oh, onion, garlic, and wheat and beans. That's all you cut out. And you leave all the other FODMAPs in. 
So A, Monash is really clear that you only restrict to the degree that is necessary. And also they're perfectly clear that you only restrict for, what is it, two to six weeks? And then Mm. you have a fork in the road. If you feel better on that low FODMAP diet, then you embark on the reintroductions and you go about it systematically and very carefully. And again, you're looking for your individual triggers and your tolerance level. If you don't feel better on low FODMAP, the people who designed the diet explicitly say, abandon the diet and move on to something else or refer the person back to their GI doctor. Like, even they are like, nope, you bet you get right off of it. If you don't feel better in two to six weeks, this is not the diet for you. But to your point, I think when you were alluding to this, um, if a practitioner is really rigid in their thinking, or if they are just incorrect in their thinking, and they think, oh, this diet starves SIBO, therefore any amount of FODMAP is bad, then yeah, they're going to have you do the most extreme version of low FODMAP, and they're going to have you do it for way too long. And they might even recommend, see Becker, that you do this diet forever and ever and ever as a way to manage your SIBO, which is utter complete rubbish. And it's like, these are the things to watch out for. Like if people, if the person you're working with, or if like Susan on the internet tells you, oh, you have to eliminate X, Y, and Z for sure. And you have to be really, really strict. And if you still have symptoms, then you must not be doing it right. Or you must not be doing it strict enough. Mm. That's red flagging in itself. Um, again, if, if you're using one of these restrictive diets for longer than it's intended or designed to be used, that's red flaggy. If you're not trying to like customize it for you, that's red flaggy. I mean, heck, even like, even when paleo was super popular back like 2012, 13, 14, I remember Chris Kresser, who was like, you know, the king of paleo at the time. I remember even he was saying, you start with paleo as a template, and then you kind of like, play with it. And you try to design your own diet out of that. He was never, to the best of my knowledge, he was never advocating that people just stay paleo because grains are flat out evil. And everybody needs to eat paleo. He was like, here's a starting template, play with it a bit, see where, where you're at and what you could tolerate. And then you could build your own customized diet off of that. But then everybody else went this weird direction of like, grains are evil, carbs are evil. Oh, my God. Anti-nutrients. Right. And they got so strict. Yeah, I think that there's two things there that you're mentioning, too. Like, with Chris Kresser, I like, he almost described it as like an 80-20 rule. So, like, you want to, at some point, get to a place where you're eating like 80% of the foods that, you know, like, help you thrive. And then the 20% that you can kind of get away with and still right and still feel really great um Mm -hmm. so yeah i've always kind of liked that balanced approach where it wasn't so like like you're saying rigid there's room for experimentation to figure out what works for you versus Mm -hmm. what works for someone else and i do think one thing that you were mentioning right there it's it's the demonization of certain foods when Mm -hmm. you might do just fine with grains. Why, why would you avoid them? Um, Or again, like, and I, and I always tell clients this, you could take any food, like you could pick a food out of a hat and I could find someone that told you not to eat it, like not to eat it. So again, like talk about external red flags. Like you could find, you could pick bananas out of a hat of, of how to food and you're going to find someone that thinks the fructose and bananas are evil. The right, right, sugar, (laughs) you know, uh, the keto people hate 
bananas again so you could take do that with any food and you're going to find yeah. someone that's going to tell you it's not healthy to eat and so yes. and again it changes yeah it changes, it changes all the time like, you know we're not old by any stretch of the imagination but we're old enough that like i vividly remember you know because my mom was trying to lose weight a lot of my growing up and I remember the flavor of like the 90s and early 2000s was very much plant-based vegan. Right. And that was like the healthy way to eat. And meat and fat were both bad. And I remember she went vegan at one point and then vegetarian and like, and you know, I, I remember I was a vegetarian for a lot of years and I would have my veggie burger and my veggie dog. And I thought, oh, this is so healthy. And I think most people around me also would have applauded me for being healthier because I wasn't eating meat. Well, now we look back at that and we're like, oh, that's laughable. That's so dumb. (laughs) And now we're like, oh, the veggie dogs and the veggie burgers are horrible for you. Right. And you probably need more like zinc and healthy fat and protein. What were you doing? But like, give it another 20 years and we're going to go right back over. The the pendulum is going to swing again. And everybody and their brother is going to be talking about eating plant-based again. Maybe in part because of the, oh God, what is it? The fiber-fueled guy, like right. he's kind of paving the way. Right. And it's not that fiber is bad. It's not that plant-based eating is bad. It's just when you get to these extremes where like one group of people says that meat's bad and fat is bad and another group says that carbs are bad right. and another one says that water's bad and right. another one says that histamine's bad and like FODMAPs are bad and sulfur is bad and oxalate are is right. bad and and it and like anti-nutrients phytates you literally have nothing left to eat and i will throw this out there too even if you think water and ice cubes is all you have left think again because you could google water toxicity granted it's almost always after somebody runs a marathon and then they right. chug like three gallons of water all at once but there are literally people who have died from drinking too much water we have nothing left to consume. Right. right. If we listen to everybody, we're better off just trying to use our noodle and keep our eyes out for bullshit right. and not listening to the hype. And just like, I, honestly, as a side, I've had an academic crush on Michael Pollan for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And his, his whole bit about eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Like, right. you know, it, it doesn't need to get much more complicated than that. And right. everything else in moderation is probably okay. But right. like, try to eat whole foods and like foods, foods that your great, great grandmother would have recognized, right? Like, kind of stick with these kind of food rules, for the most part, and you'll be fine. Like, that's how I felt about nutrition for a long time now. But there's no room for that conversation in like the hardcore keto, hardcore carnivore, hardcore right. vegan kind of world. Yeah. And I, the saddest part about all that is that nutrition gets totally lost. Like if you're eating vegan and you can't get enough zinc, like that's problematic. If you're eating keto and you can't get enough thiamine because you've Mm -hmm. cut out all the thiamine sources, that's going to be problematic. So it's like, yeah, anytime you take to the extreme nutrition suffers and no one ever mentions that, (laughs) unfortunately, but kind of is what it is. But yeah, I think, I think there's so many red flags that you could go through from a dietary standpoint. And I think, you know, you can hear it from, you know, practitioners, you can hear it from people on the internet, you can hear it from blogs, you can hear it from your partner, you can hear it from all different sources. And I think, again, like the key is just to try to take a step back and, 
acknowledge that you you are probably going to know better than anyone what feels right from a nutrition mm-hmm. standpoint like how, what foods and what composition of foods make you feel the best and not losing sight of that when experts are throwing stuff at you. And I think it's totally legitimate for a provider to try to guide you in certain ways from a nutrition standpoint. So it's not that we're saying like, you know, combat your provider the second they like mention like some nutritional restriction or something like that. But um, I think what we're trying to say is that keep your wits about you. If someone's just like throwing out tons of restrictions and demonizing foods and um, not listening to how you're feeling on certain diets and Mm. um, know that, know that you're, you're going to know what's best when you're experimenting with foods and experimenting with foods can be really valuable too. Um, So if you have a provider that's kind of against that, I'd be a little skeptical. Um, be a little skeptical of that. Agreed. And also, um, I think I just had two more kind of pop in my brain that are semi related to what you were just talking about. Um, if you work with somebody, or if you talk to somebody, and they use the same exact tool for everything, whether right. it be a diet or a test or a protocol, that's a huge red flag. And I'll get into that in a second. Um, but like, as an example, there are some providers out there who order the same tests on literally everybody. Right. Like they don't even have to meet with you. And they know already without knowing anything about you that you're going to get a SIBO test, a GI map stool test, a Dutch test and an adrenal test. And it's like, you know, I I, I kind of have jokingly called this the Mark Hyman method for a while. Because I remember I looked into sending my mom to work with him years and years ago when when they still lived in Massachusetts and they were not that far from his clinic. And I remember the clinic basically told me something to the effect of like every new patient has like $5,000 worth of testing done right, right out the gate. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, so they're ordering literally everything on literally right. everybody. And I'm sorry, like you went to medical school so that yeah. you could kind of like pick what's appropriate for the person. It You're not you're not acting like a doctor if right. you just order everything on everybody. Right. Any any dum-dum on the internet could just sign a piece of paper and order one of everything for everybody. Like, that doesn't actually help. But, like, using your noodle and saying, oh, okay, this person um, sounds like they have hormone stuff going on, therefore I'm going to order a hormone test. Or, oh, this person sounds like they might have SIBO, so I'm I'm going to order a SIBO breath test versus this other person who does not sound like they have SIBO. So I'm going to skip that test. I'm going to skip that expense. Right. Like that makes so much more sense from a cost saving standpoint and just like a, a clinical standpoint. But yeah, like everybody gets the same test or right. everybody gets the same supplement. Like everyone gets biocidin. Right. Everybody right. gets candy bactin. Everybody gets megaspore. It's like, right. all right, and if well, it doesn't work, like, well, it's on you. Right, right. Yeah, if it doesn't work, it's on you. You're broken. You're you're flawed somehow. Right. Like, that's just really red flaggy. Um, and yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I don't even know if I have anything else to say about that. It's just, I see this really frequently mm. where providers get, like, really hooked on one product. And it's all marketing. Right. Right? Like, right. I've 
we like to throw shade at conventional medicine all day and say, oh, I can't believe they let the pharmaceutical reps into their office and they advertise medications to the doctors. I can't believe they let that happen. (laughs) Meanwhile, you go to any functional medicine seminar or conference and there's a booth from Microbiome Labs. There's a booth from Diagnostic Solutions. There's a booth from Genova. And they're all pitching people on their product and they're all offering free products or discounts if you place an order at the conference. You have they have reps from all of those companies, supplement companies and lab companies have sales reps and they will come to your office or email you or call you and see if you have any questions or if you want a discount on ordering a test for yourself. Like it's it's the same. It's not maybe as bad because the repercussions of like willy nilly prescription prescribing are way worse than willy nilly GI map ordering. Right. But it's the same damn thing. Right. You can't throw shade at conventional medicine and then be okay with like the microbiome labs rep coming to your office to give you free samples and encourage you to place an order. Right. It's like the whole green alleopathy type Mm -hmm. model. And, and I, I think it's so funny you bring this up because literally every person that comes, not every person, but a lot of people that come to work with me are like, so what test should I order right out the gate before we get started? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you have, well, it cracks me up too, because it's like always like the people that have run a million tests and it's like these tests haven't even really helped like determine what's off or like, again, maybe the strategies for Mm -hmm. what came up in the test weren't matched well but it's like it's not like the testing has yielded progress for them yeah but i think it's so indoctrinated in the functional medicine space that it's like we have to test sometimes i have clients that i feel like get a little bit nervous when i'm like i don't really think we need to order tons of tests right now like maybe like get just some updated blood work done but like you have kind of a somewhat recent you have tons of recent testing. Why do we need to run more? Some people, again, like there's yeah. just very obvious things that we need to work on first before we do any testing. And again, sometimes working on those obvious things has them getting better and then we don't need to do any testing. So mm-hmm. I think you're right there. There, If there isn't, again, it's almost back to like rigidity almost. Like if the mm-hmm. strategies are very rigid and trying to fit you into the, the box the boxes that they've created so like this is the the lab box that ever that i need to check for everybody and this is like the supplements that i give for SIBO check this is like the supplements i give for um hpa axis dysfunction check like again they're they're, it's almost like they're just checking you into different boxes um Mm. like if there's a level of rigidity in their care like across the board and i think it's almost it's almost the same way for the for the food stuff. Like again, they want everything to be a clean a clean like one diet fits all model and that's just not how mm-hmm. it works. And I know we've talked about it. I it, it almost reflects just like a lack of critical thinking at times where mm-hmm. oh, it's yeah. like oh, I just want like something that I the process that I can just move through with every single person. Um in in a uh like a protocol for every single person and it's i mean it just doesn't work i mean we see the we see the byproducts of that type of model yeah. 
because we're working with all the clients that have been through every SIBO protocol known to man or every IBS protocol known to man and haven't gotten better. Um, but yeah, I think again, it's like these flashy like protocols that are um, well marketed, but might not be the right fit for you. Um, and I think yeah. it also leads people to believe like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm the problem, like you were saying before, like it leads people to be more, more helpless, because the providers like, well, you didn't do well with this narrow protocol that I give to every single person. It's not my you protocol. That's the problem. Case. Right. It's not my protocol because my protocol works. It's you. Yeah. And, and again, like it's always shocking to people when they come to work with me with SIBO or other things, but like with SIBO in particular, because like people are shocked that like other people don't respond to like rifaximin or neomycin or I'm sorry, rifaximin mm. like the antibiotics or the herbals but like there's a huge subset of people with SIBO that don't that are non-responders to herbals and antibiotics like it's not a small percentage um no. so again like it's funny that like those people are just think they're doomed and I'm like no like that pro- that protocol the typical protocol for SIBO like yeah. with antibiotics and herbals just didn't work for you it has nothing to yeah, do like with your right not even in the minority really right it has nothing to do with you being like this doomed case it has something to do with the protocol just not being uh right for you and again like you have the i guess this is another red flag that's coming to mind like the people that will do the gazillionth round of herbals even though the person has never responded to herbals or antibiotics red flag red flag red flag like if you've never responded to herbals or antibiotics don't continue doing Stop it. Stop using them. Right. Right. Well, it's it's right up there with the person who's put on low FODMAP. They don't feel any better. Right. And the practitioner's like, okay, stay on this diet. Why? Right. Why? Like, right. why would you do that? Right. And again, if you, if you approach it from this dogmatic place of like, this is the SIBO diet, and I'm going to kill the bacteria somehow, and it's, it's, we're going to be farting rainbows after this, like, it's hard to get out of that dogmatic place of thinking you, you really have to undo brainwashing to get out of that place. And yeah, it's it. I will say too, kind of related. This is probably going to be such a spazzy episode, by the (laughs) way, because we're, we're like all excited, just going on random, random trails. Um, If again, if somebody uses the same product on Mm, everyone or, so like, okay, if you recommend a prokinetic and literally every single person that gets a prokinetic gets Motil Pro, right? that's not good. Like you right. need to maybe play around with it a bit. Right. Or uh, if you recommend antimicrobials and every single person gets biocidin, because that's like the protocol, but that's the salesperson who right. convinced you the hardest. Um, the other one I see very frequently is, oh, you have to do spore-based probiotics. Absolutely. You can't do the other probiotics. Are you crazy? And it's, again, they have their own little dogmatic vortex in and of themselves. And it's like, okay, well, Microbiome Labs has really a good marketing department and they have sales reps that are very convincing. Yeah. And they have a couple of papers that they helped fund. And, you know, they go to conferences. I have heard the people speak. I've heard them give lectures and it sounds all very convincing but i'm just not convinced that every single human on planet earth needs spore-based probiotics right and i've actually i've seen some people do really poorly on spore-based probiotics so right like i don't know like 
the idea that this is like the one probiotic to end all probiotics is just ludicrous. Right. In in my opinion. Right. No, I think like, (laughs) I think there's so many instances of that. Like this is the one probiotic for every single person with SIBO or this is the, this is the one stool test that's perfect for everybody. To them all. Right. Like, you know, this is the one prokinetic. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I almost, I, I think the more I've worked with clients too, it's like the more, I tell them right out the gate, like before we work, like we're going to be doing some experimentation, like, because we can't, again, it's amazing when I work with people and we nail it right out the gate with like everything. It happens. We were like, okay, we can isolate that. These are the main problems. We put in some strategies and everything goes super smoothly. And then there's some clients where it's like, you can isolate the issue, but you have to kind of experiment with different strategies and figure out what, what works best. Or again, what factors are the biggest factors? Like you can see different factors at play and you might approach Mm. things a little bit differently for each factor. Um, But you might say like, hmm, like you seem to be responding really well to like adaptogens. Maybe we need to work a little bit more on stress or Mm. like the nervous system side of the equation. Or maybe you responded like you had a really severe die-off reaction when doing any herbs, maybe we need to do like some liver support first. And so there can Mm -hmm. be some of these things that happen when you experiment with different protocols or different, I don't even like the word protocol, but different strategies um, that might lead to different things. But I think you're right. Like there shouldn't be just one way to do certain things. There's, you know, I hate the expression. There's a million ways to skin a cat. Oh, it just feels gross, but it's, it's pet a cat. There's okay. more than one way to pet. a Okay. Cat there we go. There we go. What I'm trying to change that to. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, I mean, again, I, I think it's frustrating to me. It just, it cre- it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's almost a little lazy. There's like a level of laziness yes. at times in the functional space where it's like, okay, I don't want to like do the critical thinking or the experimenting. I just want this like nice clean box of like supplements, what strategies to do, what diet to do. And it's like, nothing's that clean. Unfortunately, I wish it was that easy where like everyone could do this diet or everyone could do that diet and then use these exact same supplements. Like, I think we would, we would all love doing that because it would make our jobs way easier. And we would publish that shit. Right. Like, we wouldn't have a hundred and some odd episodes of this podcast if there was just one SIBO protocol. Right, right. Like, if we could just say, all right, here's what you do. You take this for two weeks, then you take this for three weeks, then you take this for 61 days, not 62, not 60, 61 days. Like, we would absolutely share that with you guys. But yeah, honestly, I hate the word protocol. That's probably the number one question I've gotten on social media and Mm -hmm. YouTube over the years is like, what's your SIBO protocol? Right. And it drives me bonkers because in an ideal world, there would be no protocol whatsoever. Right. None. Right. Right. And, and like, I even joke about this with, with my students at FODMAP Freedom where I'm like, all right, I'm going to chuck a lot of information at you for the next 12 weeks. It's going to be a lot. You like halfway through the course and beyond, you're probably going to feel kind of overwhelmed by all of it. But what I'm trying to help you do is build your own protocol. And like, I literally don't know what you need to do. Right. But if I kind of take you through like, step by step, starting with what's usually the most important first, getting down to like the fine tuning stage at the end, if I walk you through and I help educate you on like what patterns, what symptoms, 
what labs might point you in the direction of like ruling this thing in, ruling it out. Right. And you like layer everything in, in a systematic way. That's where you get results. But yeah, it's like, if I could just say, here's my magical guide to curing SIBO, you know, just do this protocol. You'll be magically better. Like it, I wish that it existed, but it doesn't. And I will say too, to your point, there's a shocking amount of laziness in functional medicine. I agree. And I think it's not unique to functional medicine. I think that this happens in a lot of fields as well. Right. But like everybody wants the magic diet, the magic herbal remedy, the magic, whatever. And I see it all the time because I'm in a lot of like functional medicine forums and groups. And it's like every other day, practically that I see somebody saying like, what's your best protocol for blunt? What's your best SIBO protocol? Best candida protocol. Ready? Go. And and people throw out their opinions and you get this dialogue going, but everybody goes to those da- damn groups wanting a protocol, a protocol, this a protocol, that, and it, what is the quote? It's, it's more important. It doesn't matter what, what sort of disease the person has. What matters is the sort of person that has the disease. Like, I don't care if you tell me that you have a person who has SIBO, how do I treat it? That doesn't matter. Tell me the other stuff about that person. Do they get good sleep? Are they super stressed? Are they like, are they eating enough? Are they getting enough nutrition? Like, do they have a good relationship with food? Do they have disordered eating? Do they have like microbiome disturbances? Like, do they have reflux? Do they have iron deficiency? Like, those are the things that matter, not the SIBO itself. Right. So yeah, just in an ideal world, there wouldn't be any protocols. But I do think I find this is especially common amongst conventional providers who later get into functional medicine or Mm -hmm. integrated medicine. Because if you think about conventional medicine, it's all memorized protocols, right? Oh, you have acid reflux, Prilosec. Oh, you have high cholesterol, Lipitor. Oh, you have, I don't know, like insert the name of a disease, and I guarantee they will have a medication or a referral. And that's just, it's, it's very like knee jerk reflex, memorize a bunch of protocols, get you in and out. So I think that conventional medicine has trained doctors, especially, but all of us to a certain degree that we, we kind of crave that protocol and that like straightforward linear, like if this, then this kind of thinking, but yeah, it's not how it works. It never is. It never was. We've just fooled ourselves for years thinking that that's how it worked. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a couple, I have a couple more that are coming to mind. One, two, and this kind of goes to laziness somewhat. I feel like the functional space is always like, oh, they kind of look at SIBO as the root cause or like, yes, um, you know, oh, well, you have SIBO, that's why you're bloated. And it's like, they go one step deeper, but they need to go more deep like more deeper yeah. more deeper deeper they need to go deeper you need than to find the roots of the roots right they need to find the roots of the roots you're you're exactly right and again i think it goes to the laziness and the product like wanting protocols and things like that like th- there has to be some exploration it doesn't mean that they have to right out the gate tell you exactly what your root causes are i think mm-hmm. that that's also not a good way to go into a meeting either like to 100 no 100 with 100 certainty what your root causes are i have people that come to me wanting that and it's like well you know it's a pie so like there's 
you know, a certain percentage could be your stress. A certain percentage could be that you have some of these nutrient deficiencies. A certain percentage could be that, you know, you had food poisoning. A certain percentage could be this, that. Like most people have a number of factors that are at play. And it's sometimes Mm -hmm. right out the gate, it can be a little bit hard to tell what percentage of the pie each of those factors is. So... Like it doesn't and it might change day to day even. Right. So like, again, I, I think there should be a conversation when you're working with providers and it is a red flag if, if there's no conversation around root causes or like what could be driving the SIBO. If there's mm-hmm. no convert or, or IBS in that vein too, like if there's no conversation around what's driving your symptoms, um, then that I think is a problem as well. And for, for the root causes it doesn't necessarily mean like i said that they have like and they know exactly what's like again almost that could be a red flag too like this is exactly what it is you know a level of certainty that might not be present right out the gate but there should be a discussion of what your root causes are and what factors could be at play driving your SIBO and that you might get more clarity over time what the biggest factors are and what you're going to respond best to over time. But if you're not having any of those conversations, I would one, ask your provider because sometimes they might have some ideas in their head. They're just not sharing them with you. Um, So ask your provider about like what they think could be driving the SIBO. And if you're doing some things that are addressing the root causes. Um, But yeah, I think that that's something to pay attention to as well when you're working with providers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think to go back to what you were just saying, I I feel like anybody who's 100% certain right. about anything, like I automatically have my bullshit radar going up a little right. bit with that. Right. Because it's like, we can't be certain about anything. Hell, even, I, no, I don't want to get too like out there and esoterical and philosophical here, but like, yeah, saying like, oh, absolutely your root cause was this. Right. Like, I don't know. Was it? I, I like your your example of like a pie chart. Right. And it's like, okay, one sliver of the pie chart is this. One sliver of it is this. Um, and it's like, what is weighing you down? I think actually we should do a whole episode on root causes after this two-parter series right. because that's a, that's a good conversation to have. But um, yeah, like 100% certainty is always kind of... Uh, questionable to me right even honestly like the provider providers and people who like live and die by a test Mm. any test any at all like that automatically is is strange to me too where it's like oh we did this you know gi map test and it is infallible and perfect and we trust it with 100 percent of our being and it's it's the most perfect righteous amazing thing in the world or like insert name of test here, your Dutch test, we can absolutely rely on these results 150%. And it's it's the most amazing stupendous. I mean, hell. And I even showed that when I measured calprotectin on LabCorp and Quest, same person, same day, same turd, same stool sample, right. and the person stirred it up before mailing it to the labs. Uh, even LabCorp and Quest did not agree with each other. Right, right. Like, how much of a mindfuck is that? And these are like big, reputable companies, reimbursable by every insurance plan. Right. Like, available in every conventional medical doctor's office and GI office. If you get 
Cal protected and run. It's going to be through LabCorp or Quest. And even those two did not match up with each other, which just boggled my mind. So like even, heck, even things like testing from LabCorp and Quest, we should always have that teeny tiny, tiny part of our brain that's like a little bit skeptical and questioning like, okay, can we trust these results? Right. Or at the bare minimum, I would say, when it comes to testing, I think the big thing to know is that if you don't get better based off of that protocol, based off of that information, you should be pointing the finger at the test not being super reliable. You shouldn't be going into this deep, dark place of like, oh, I'm a lost cause. I'm a really tough case. I'm never going to get better. I'm doomed. Oh my God, I'm never going to get rid of IBS. I'm going to be bloated for the rest of my life. Like, I think the more appropriate response is to go, okay, we tried to gather objective data. It maybe didn't work out. It wasn't super helpful for you for whatever reason. Now let's move on and try to do something else. But I find sometimes, well, oftentimes, practitioners get in this mind space of like, you know, again, like, here's the GI map. It's perfect and infallible and amazing. And like, it's the be all and all of stool testing. And if you don't get better based off of my perfect protocol from my perfect stool test, there's something wrong with you. You're a tough case. You're a progressed case. Mm. You're really difficult. And it's like, no, don't put that pressure and that blame and that ickiness on the patient. Maybe question your damn test or question your damn protocol. So. Yeah, it's sort of like a weird because I know we did, I'm sure like the Jenna and the OCD anxiety kind of episode has been out by the time this is out, I, I'd imagine. But yeah. like it almost the level of certainty with the testing and like even some providers that are like, I'm, I don't like I get really good results. Like you're, you're for certain going to get better if you follow like this plan, like, you know, the certain the level of certainty, I think is like a little bit. I hate the term like predatory, but like, it's a little bit like salesy. It's salesy. And again, it, it feeds off people that have anxiety that think that they have to do it this way or OCD thinks that they need the certainty. Um, and then, then again, when it's actually not certain, then it like feeds into their OCD and anxiety even more. Nothing is certain people. Right. Right. So like, again, like when you're trying to make something certain, it just, again, I think it preys on on people that have a little bit more health anxiety, which is a lot of people that we yeah. work with. And mm-hmm. I understand, again, like I had health anxiety and OCD. I wanted to live and die by the test. I wanted to get more tests, the best tests and this and that. And like yes. that that's going to be the answer to all my problems. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, I don't really think any test was really super valuable in in getting me better and i did all the best tests out there um and again there were certainly some tests that were really interesting most of them i think were more conventional in nature so like my thyroid certainly Mm -hmm. something that was really problematic i had low free blood sugar my blood sugar uh, again Mm -hmm. was problematic um but again like the stool tests and things and and like nothing I did based off my stool tests really had a major impact. Like the protocols I ran with providers had a major impact on my gut. Um, So. And you just got, we came close to touching on something, but I want to, I want to take a step back for a second with something you said. Um, I think anybody or anything that encourages you to, 
disregard what your body right. is telling you or disregard your own experience or your perception of reality. Right. Like that's hugely red flaggy. So again, like the practitioner who says, oh, well, I know you just told me that you don't feel better on this diet, but I'm going gonna, I'm right. gonna to tell you to keep doing it anyway. Or like, oh, well, you know, you told me that like, okay, say you get a food allergy test run or a food sensitivity test run. And the provider goes, Oh, wow, you have a super big problem with eggs and dairy. And I don't let's pick a random one potatoes, you have really big problems with these foods. And if you're on the other side of that going, wait, I know for sure I'm totally fine with eggs because I've kind of played with this before. I cut them out for a few weeks. I added them back in. I was really careful about it. Like, I know for sure that I'm okay with eggs. If that provider looks you in the eye and says, no, you still have to cut out eggs. They're clearly bad for you. Like, that, just fire that person. Right. Honestly, like that. I think it's reasonable if you get data like that back. Again, I think it's reasonable to take a stab at using the test and say, oh, well, like, say you hadn't done any experimentation. If you got a sensitivity test or an allergy test back and it said these three foods look problematic for you, right. the conversation should not be these are automatically 100%. We know for sure they're bad for you. Eliminate them forever. The conversation should be, oh, let's try to eliminate them, see how you feel without them, then reintroduce them and see how you feel once you introduce them again. And then we'll kind of figure out, like, do we think that this is really a trigger for you or is it not? The conversation shouldn't be like, oh, I know you're telling me one thing, but like my way of thinking is clearly better or superior. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I, right. I don't kinda, know. Or it, like it disconnects you from your body too. Like I think yeah, which as, is the last thing you want to do. Right. And like, as time goes on, like if you work with a lot of providers that are like f- making you really food fury and nervous around food and kind of disrupting a relationship, I think like it it can become very hard to trust yourself and your body and to make decisions. Like the longer you're going down that road, the more disconnected you get from trusting yourself. And then you're in a really hard place, like a really hard place to come back from. And if you think about it, one of the big things that we talk about with IBS and SIBO is the gut brain axis, right? Like the connection between your brain and your gut. That's as close of an anatomical um, like thing, a, an anatomical representation of the connection between your mind or your spirit and your body. Right. Right. Like, and, and that idea of like trusting yourself, trusting your body, trusting your intuition, like listening to your body. Like it's, it's about as close as we can get to the actual anatomical, physical representation of that concept. Right. And the gut brain axis is disrupted in IBS and SIBO. Like we've seen this, especially IBS. There's a ton of research on this. You research like gut brain connection, gut brain axis, vagus nerve, enteric nervous system, that kind of stuff with regards to IBS. And it's pretty clear that that system is disrupted. And it's one of the big root causes of IBS to begin with. But then we do things that encourage people to not listen to their body or like trust a test result more than their own body. Right. And it just, it makes no sense. It's so counterproductive to the healing process. And it's so frustrating to see people go through that. Because then to your point, then we work with the people who are told that they're the tough cases, the most 
progress difficult cases, the lost causes, the ones who feel doomed. And they don't need to feel doomed. They just needed better care or they needed like a more open-minded, flexible practitioner to begin with. Right. They went to like five equally crappy providers or something, you know, like rigid functional providers. Maybe they started out with like a conventional and went to a few conventional doctors and then they went to like two just like equally kind of rigid functional doctors. And then it feels like, oh my God, I went to like four providers and still didn't get the right care. I'm like, Therefore, you, think, I'm doomed. you could go to four, you could go to 10 providers that might not be the right fit. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. I would hate for you to have to go through that. But yeah. I do think like, it's something I've definitely seen. I've seen people again, go to so many different providers. And then you like, look at what they've done. And you're like, how come no one looked at your nutrition and saw that you're eating a 1000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you did, what you do, if you're not getting nutrition, you're never going to improve. So that factor was never addressed. And it's like, or again, things were done that made it harder to get nutrition by like restricting foods. Like things were done by providers that hindered that. I think again, like it's really sad to me when I see clients like that, where it's like, Oh my gosh, like there were just huge pieces missed and you've been down this road for years. And yeah, it's obvious to us. Right. A lot of the time. Right. And I, I, Two more that I want to segue off with. One, I'm going to mention this one first, and then we're going to cover it second. Uh, But I don't want to forget it. Um, If you're losing weight, or if you're malnourished, or if you have a lot of deficiencies, and that's not being looked at, and like the nutrition is not being assessed, that's a huge, huge, huge red flag. Mm -hmm. But I I want to come back to that. So your job is to remember that so I don't forget it. Oh, I won't forget that. Um, I I figured that's why I figured if I verbalized it. Right. I I wasn't thinking of that in this red flag context. But that is huge, huge. Yep. Huge. But don't get too excited. Hold on. I want to do the other one before I forget the other one. Um, I don't want this episode to turn into like, Everyone just needs to work with us because we're the only ones who know what we're doing. Right, right. And everybody else sucks. I don't want that to be the takeaway from this episode. And it's not it. That's not the point of this. I think, though, if you could try to find somebody to work with, or like get your information from people who are critically thinking, and they are mentally flexible, I think that's better. One kind of recommendation if you're like, okay, well, for whatever reason, if you don't want to work with either of us, or if it's not feasible, and you're trying to like decide between a few potential providers in your area. One of the best things I think is if the provider does any sort of like discovery call or welcome call or clarity call, and you can just kind of get to know them and talk to them a little bit, preferably on camera like this, like webcam. Um, I do that with people I know Amy does that as well. Um, Oftentimes, I will use that half hour of time with people to kind of just hear a little bit more about their story. Like, oh, I, I understand that your your top your top symptoms that you want help with are X, Y, and Z. Can you tell me a little bit more about how long you've had that? And maybe if, if we have time, you could get into like what you've tried so far so that I can gauge if I think I can help you. Like, do I have any other tools up my sleeve that you have not tried yet? Right. Or would it just be wasting your time and money to work with me? So first of all, I think just having that kind of a tone to a discovery call is really important. Mm -hmm. If it feels like they're giving you a sales pitch the whole time you're on the discovery call, that's not a discovery call. That's a sales call. Right. And that's kind of cringy. It's cringy, if not red flaggy, in my opinion. So if you feel like you're getting pitched on their services the whole time, and it's not 
if there's no, I guess another way to think of it, if you get through that call and you feel like no matter what you said to them, they were automatically going to take on your case. Like that's a little questionable versus if it's like, I really want to understand if I'm the best fit for you. And if not, I'm going to try really hard to find you somebody else who would be right. But like, I want to like sit down and kind of talk about that first. I think that's important. Um, The other thing too, is you could ask them in that discovery call, you could ask them a couple questions to kind of gauge again, like how mentally flexible they're at. You could ask, uh, for example, do you like what, you know, you could ask them, like, what is your, you know, one, one or two minute um, nutrition philosophy, right? Or like, what do you think the perfect diet is? Or what do you think the best way to eat is? Like, one minute, ready, go. Um, you know, if they start getting into like, oh, well, nobody should eat carbs, nobody should eat grains, meat is intrinsically bad, nobody should be eating meat or fat. And you know, red meat is really bad for you. If they start getting into stuff that sounds dogmatic, you could kind of imagine that they're gonna go down that road with you too. Um, Right. Or again, like, you could you could even also ask like, oh, like, what do you find the most common cause of SIBO is or like, what is the most common root cause? Because I kid you not, there are providers out there who are like, oh, Lyme disease. Right. Really? Like, if they if you answer, what are the most common root causes of SIBO that you see? And they answer like mold, Lyme disease, toxins, or like heavy metals. I just I don't know if I super believe them. And it's, you know, because there are a lot of providers out there who like every single human being that comes into their office is diagnosed with Lyme disease, right? Every single one of them. And I had Lyme disease. I'm not a naysayer. I'm not like poo pooing the existence of Lyme disease. I really had it. But if 100% of people walking into a clinic are diagnosed with the same thing. That's really fishy. Right. Similarly, there are like the mold doctors who are convinced that everybody has a mold problem. And that's like the only thing they're looking at. Or everybody has EBV. Right. And that's like the only thing they're looking at. But if they start answering you with something fishy, and they don't mention like low stomach acid or food poisoning or stress or like antibiotic overuse or like hypothyroidism, if they don't start talking about other root causes of SIBO, for example, that could be like an easy way to kind of weed them out and see like, oh, this is clearly like the Lyme disease doctor, right? And I'd better steer clear of them. Um, But yeah, I guess just trying to screen people that you work with a little bit more and just kind of, even if you get the opportunity to just ask one question in that call and kind of poke the waters a little bit and see all right, can I get a sense if this person's open-minded or if they're really rigid? Right. Well, and I think that that's the key. Like, I don't even think that someone has to necessarily be like an expert on SIBO or like an expert on, because I would say like one of my favorite doctors is my PCP Mm -hmm. and he's a conventional medical doctor, but he's very like open to listening to me. Like he's willing to collaborate. Um, Mm -hmm. He tells me when he doesn't know things, but like he's interested, he's willing to kind of dig a little bit deeper into things, but it feels much more like, like a collaboration. Yeah. And I think that, and that's like something maybe to pay attention to. Like if you feel like you're working with a provider that seems very collaborative, um, that I think is huge. It's more like if someone's talking at you or above you or like this, it's my way or the highway. I think that that's when, when things get into trouble. And, And like you said, like 
we couldn't even see everybody like all the people that listen to our, our podcast like we can't we have no capacity yeah, we to see every person there's plenty no. of good providers out there so i want to keep but there's also a lot of people who will bullshit you right all right. day every day right like and they'll happily take your money right i'm a big believer and you know i've gone through periods of time you know in my adult life where i'm like oh like doctors suck you know like you get into like these mindsets of like oh i can't trust anyone but you can like you just have to find the right fit um and that can sometimes be tricky at times but you know there's a lot of great doctors and providers out there i don't want i like you said i don't want this to be like a super negative nancy type episode but it's just i think we see so much bs like what you're saying, we see so much BS on a daily basis, just working with people that have come from providers that are doing a lot of the stuff we're talking about. It's very frustrating. And it almost is like, let's vent about this in a red flag episode, which is what we're doing right now. (laughs) Kind of. Um, Yeah. But but again, I think for every crappy doctor out there, I think there's probably another really great doctor. Right, exactly. Or nutritionist or dietitian or acupuncturist or whoever. Right. Um, I will say, too, to kind of go back, because I had a thought when you were talking, another question you could ask to kind of weed out, like, oh, is this person mentally rigid or mentally flexible? Um, what's what's your favorite SIBO diet? Mm. Or, like, what, what SIBO diet do you use? If they come back with one single answer... <laughs> That might make you kind of curious right? in that moment. Right. Or if you could also follow up with like, oh, you know, what's your favorite SIBO diet? And like, or how long do you have patients do a SIBO diet? If they say forever, or if they say like six months or a year, that's a huge red flag. But if they were like, oh, well, if we use one of these diets at all, we might have you do the elimination phase for like, two, four, six, eight weeks. And then we could get to a point where we're helping you reintroduce some foods. Like that kind of conversation, I think would be a green flag, so to speak. But if they're like, oh, always for 41 days, and then you have to do it indefinitely to manage the SIBO for the rest of your life. If they come up with stuff like that, where it's either too exact or too long, or like too willy nilly, I would, I would, think twice about working with that provider. But let's go back to the nutrition one, because I kind of dangled that carrot in front of the dietitian and then yanked it away. <laughs> so freaking people losing weight. Yeah. And or being otherwise malnourished and not getting treated for it. Like I, I'm sure I talked about this one guy. He was on low FODMAP, paleo, low sulfur. So he was doing three restricted diets and he dropped like 40 pounds and insane. the thing that irritates the crap out of me is not that his functional medicine MD didn't give a rat's ass about that. They employ a nutritionist right. in their office. They have a nutritionist in their office. And he brought this up with the nutritionist and the nutritionist was like, no, nah, that's fine. You're good. What the what? <laughs> Nikki just died. Nikki just died. Right. Oh my God. So that's the kind of stuff that just drives me back. That was like one of the most overt versions of this issue. But again, if you lose 
if you lose weight unintentionally, or if you were already normal body weight or skinny to begin with, and you lose weight, oh my God, huge red flag. Right. Or if you're, if, if you have this conversation of like, wow, I'm still B12 deficient. I can't believe it. But you're also like not eating B12. Or like, right. oh my God, I'm still iron deficient. And nobody's made an effort to like track your nutrition and even do like two days of collection and chronometer and see like, I don't know, are you eating enough iron? Right. Well, I think the sad part is it's almost become like a norm. So people are like, oh, you lo- you lost a little bit of weight. That's how SIBO you diets are. Or like, that's how SIBO diets are. You know, like you just mm-hmm. lose a little bit of weight, you know, not a big deal. And it's like, no, it is a big deal. And I think that that's like such an interesting part of the functional space because in like conventional dietetics that's like our one main job at the hospital is to make sure people don't lose weight so like we're like Mm -hmm. in talking about red flags like that's the number one red flag at a hospital for dietitians Mm -hmm. is if you have people that are losing weight because we know inherently that they can't heal or recover from anything if they're malnourished and then you have a lot of providers that aren't really connecting the dots and being like no this person losing weight is a big deal because again, they don't mm-hmm. have the reserves to recover or progress from a diet, from a new, from a gut standpoint. Sorry, I'm losing my mind um, from a gut standpoint. So yeah, I mean, it blows my mind that doctors or providers aren't flagging weight loss. Yeah. And again, I will say too, like you're, you're most likely not going to progress if you're just, losing tons of weight and i think it can create like a like i almost think my weight loss took me like a year to recover from like honestly because i lost 25 30 pounds within the three month span Mm. which is a ton of weight on my body um so you know it took me a long time for my body to like hormonally to recover um for my body to feel really good again And, and i wasn't necessarily doing like super targeted nutrition or things Mm -hmm. i just was eating more and kind of like hoping that i'd gain weight um so i don't know like how much i was really focusing on the weight um but i had a provider again talk about good providers green flags my provider who so i switched providers i was working with kind of more of a dc who was very um strict like i was on SIBO specific Mm -hmm. and i was kept losing losing weight i switched to an md and she was like you need to widen your diet. Like she was like, you need to add stuff in. You cannot be losing weight like this. So like Mm -hmm. granted, she was one of the good ones where she was like, girl, you need to like stop losing weight. Like we need to make this a really high priority. Um, because you can't just be keep keeping on dropping weight indefinitely. Like that's going to be really problematic. And again, I think that it took my body a long time to recover from that. And again, it, sometimes I don't catch people in the process. Like it's already kind of happened where they've dropped 20, 30 pounds and it can be a process to kind of recover metabolically and gut wise Mm -hmm. from it. But I think that that's the, the saddest thing is like it digs you into a much deeper hole. So like if you're losing weight and your reserves are being sucked up and your body's stressed now, and then it's creating more gut symptoms. Like you're just like digging, digging deeper into a hole that's harder to come out of. And again, Mm -hmm. like sometimes I've worked with people that are down to like really low weights and it can be really scary. 
And it's like, there's a bigger hole there because it's so hard for them to get calories back in at some point. Yeah. So I don't want to like scare anyone. I'm not trying to scare anyone, but like, again, it's, it's serious. It can be really serious if it doesn't get like squelch early. Pretty common. Right. Honestly, like I do think this is common and I will throw out there like the other side of the coin. Cause again, like nothing is set in stone here. Um, there are sometimes situations where the weight loss can be a good thing, but it's all about where did you start off at? How are you feeling? And what is the pace of the weight loss? Right. So for example, I remember I worked with this woman. When I tell you she had every possible SIBO root cause. (laughs) Right. No joke. Like she had been on PPIs. She had had really severe food poisoning, like really severe celiac disease. I think Crohn's. Um, hypothyroid, like all the things, everything, everything that I evaluate for in my forms for SIBO root causes, it was literally like across the board. Yes, 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 yes. So it was pretty clear right out the gate that she had SIBO. I think we even, we didn't test because she was so just sick and vulnerable and inflamed that I didn't think it was smart to do a SIBO test even and like provoke her and make her feel worse. So we didn't even do a SIBO test, but we immediately started talking about enhancing motility. And she was one of the people where I was like, all right, let's have you do like low FODMAP for maybe a month or two. And we'll just see if we can like kind of take down some of the inflammation, help you feel a bit better while we're addressing the motility. And then we can get those foods back in a little bit later. She came back to me like, Maybe two months later, she didn't follow up as frequently as maybe I would have liked. But maybe like two months later, I heard from her. And she was like, Oh, my God, like she was moderately overweight. Right. Um, When I first met her, and she was like, I feel so good. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like 20 pounds lighter. And a lot of it was like puffiness and water weight and like inflammation weight as well. Mm -hmm. She's like, I don't feel puffy and inflamed. I've lost some weight. I feel amazing. I have like better energy and better sleep than I have in my entire life. My gut is so much more calm. And, and it was like a really huge shift for her. And yes, she did lose a fair amount of weight. But again, like she was massively inflamed and like puffy, like water weight even. And she was genuinely overweight. And she was a very clean eater. Like she even, they owned a farm for a while and they were like growing their own produce and stuff. Like she was a very clean eater and she literally never goes out to restaurants because she has such severe celiac disease that even a tiny bit of cross-contamination sends her to the ER. Right. So like she, they don't eat junk food. They don't really eat processed food. They don't eat out. And she's just the sweetest lady you ever did meet. But just these couple of shifts of like, cutting out some of the FODMAPs and like starting to work on motility and like having that answer. Finally, this clarity of like, Oh my God, this is what's going on with me. It was right. so huge for her. And again, like, yeah, she dropped like 20 pounds in two months, which sounds like too much. Right. But if you knew where she was at to begin with and how good she felt and like, I, I really weight. think that for her, right. we were on the right track. Yeah. And you know, like water weight could be like 10 pounds right, right. in the course of like a week anyway. So I think right. that probably half of it was water weight, like inflammation weight and half of it was genuine fat loss probably, but she right. was doing really, really well. And last I heard from her, she was doing really well still, but I, you know, I think that it's more concerning if you're normal weight or underweight or like very minimally overweight to begin with. 
and then you drop a whole ton of weight unintentionally. And if you if you start feeling like, oh, like, especially if you feel like, oh, I'm really run down, or I'm really tired, or like, I just I'm kind of like, dragging my heels through the day. Like if it's accompanied by lethargy and like, not good energy, um, or just not feeling healthy, not feeling as vibrant, then that's for sure a red flag. But yeah, I think that there's a little bit of context to it, certainly. But more often than not, I would say like 95% of the time, when you hear about people with IBS or SIBO dropping a bunch of weight, it is not a good thing. I think right. the lady I described is in very much in the minority, maybe 5% of the time, it's a good thing. Right, right. No, I agree. I think there's always exceptions to the rule. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, I think I'll... I think we're starting to wrap up more or less. I mean, Lord knows we could ramble about this right. all day, but I'm hearing my baby um, too. I'm like, my mom brain's like, Oh my God, my baby's screaming. <laughs> I'm like, are they hungry? We, she, she's yep. kind of, we're trying to get her used to bottles more because again, I'm just always home. So we rarely feed her bottles and then we're going yeah. to a wedding out of town. So I'm like, we need to like mm. start making sure she's okay with the bottles again because yeah. So I hear her yep. scream and I'm like wondering if how the bottle experiment's going for my <laughs> husband. I'm like, oh gosh. I would say not well. Right, well, I know. We'll wrap it up about here, but I had one more to throw out there. Yeah. Um, all this time we have talked about providers and like professionals that you might be working with. Um, and again, like some of these could be, could overlap with like the people on the Facebook groups. Like if if Sally is telling everybody that, they need to do this one diet. Right. If Sally is always like preaching about the oxalates, then maybe she's a little bit dogmatic. Right. Right. Or like if, if Susan to go with another S name, if Susan is always saying keto is the only way, absolutely. Or if you watch a Dr. Berg video on YouTube and he's always recommending intermittent fasting and keto, no matter what you have, no matter what ailment you have, it's always the same. Like, so you can, you can apply a lot of the ones we just talked about to other, um, celebrities. Do I care? Do I call us celebrities? No. (laughs) Other influencers. That's probably a more accurate term. Other influencers or, um, like people in Facebook groups and online. Um, there's another red flag though, that we probably don't have time to dissect fully, but also just like evaluate the people in your Mm. life. Right. And how kind and supportive are they of you? Right. Um, and honestly, this is probably the hardest one to overcome. Like you can have all this other shit going on, but if you have a spouse that is not supportive of your healing journey, I don't know how you're going to heal. Right. Like, and I've worked with people honestly, where like, like either I remember one time, like, the husband was not a doctor, but his dad was a doctor. And he mm-hmm. kind of had that, like, I'm a doctor too, kind of a complex. Right. And he was just kind of a know-it-all. And he questioned everything that this woman wanted to do. And he he was just kind of like, meh. Like, I don't right. see the value in that. And I'm practically right. a doctor. My dad was a doctor, kind of an attitude. Like, that was really hard to work with. Um, or like, you know, if uh, there was another lady I remember, like, we we were trying to do some dietary modification with her and her kid who I was also working with. And the husband not only was not supportive at all, 
but he made it seem like it was the biggest inconvenience for him for his family to eat differently. Right. Like it was very like, oh, this doctor is ruining my life because I might need to be more careful with my crumbs in the kitchen because my damn wife and kid need to be gluten-free. Oh, how dare she? Right. And it was like, you know, to be honest, I was not really able to help them. They kind of worked with me for a bit and then they eventually vaporized. And I think they made sweet zero progress with me. (laughs) Right, right. And, And I don't think it's because of me, not to sound egotistical, but I think it's because they were rolling a rock up the hill that they were never going to get up the hill. Right. They had somebody at home who was literally blocking them at every step of the way. And like he was giving the kid, like the 12 year old kid who was supposed to be gluten free for the time being, like he was literally like taking about getting a hot dog with a regular hot dog bun. Right. And was like, Oh, whoops. Right. All the time. Or like not even trying (laughs) to, to keep this kid gluten free. Um, or again, like if, if at every step of the way your spouse is like, how much money was that supplement? How much money was right. that organic right. carrot? How much money was that? And and just like being a royal pain in your ass, I just, I don't know how you're going to heal from that. And that's a really tough place to be in. Because then it's yeah. like, okay, like, do you choose your health or your marriage? Or do you right. choose like, do you do you invest money in couples therapy instead of working with a practitioner like that honestly might be the better investment right. for some people to make. Right. And, you know, just trying to communicate your values and like how hard it is on you to be unwell and, and like express in therapy with your spouse, like, I really need you to be supportive and not be a jackass right now. Like, right. But yeah, I don't know, like, it's, it, this is way harder to deal with, I think, but it's, right. there could be a lot of red flags in your circle of people around you, or even like, if you're trying to get healthy, and like all of your friends, the only thing they ever want to do is go to the Cheesecake Factory and get the most unhealthy thing in the world and like binge drink every single weekend. Right, right. I don't know, maybe you need to find some new friends and you need to find a new way to have fun. Right. And socialize that doesn't involve unhealthy eating or unhealthy drinking or unhealthy behaviors. Right. It's kind of it's loosely equivalent to like, if you were a smoker, and you were trying to quit smoking, would it be helpful? Or would it be a hindrance? If 100% of your friends were also smokers? Right, right, right. Like, you you can't, it's so hard to hang out with smokers if you are trying to quit smoking. Right. And it's so hard to like, have friends who only know how to socialize and only know how to have fun eating unhealthy food and drinking too much if you are trying to eat healthier and not drink as much. Right. So yeah, just keep your eyes out for the people in your life and the relationships and how that's affecting your healing journey too. Cause that is, that's like a whole nother episode of red flags right. that we don't even have time for right I now. Know, but it I know. Is, I There's so many like there. weird cases that come to mind, but there's also some like great cases that I've worked with mm-hmm. where people like where their spouse is like super supportive and I'm always like, oh my gosh, Absolutely. like they're above and beyond like what you could ask for. You know, one yeah. particular client comes to mind where his like wife would come on the calls and then would like we talk through like foods we were going to add in and she'd like try to make recipes and stuff that would include mm. the food. She was kind of in charge of the the diet side of the equation. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's just again, like, or again, like I've had client, there's more recent client that's like, you know, like I was kind of giving up on stuff, but my husband's like really pushing me to kind of move forward and keep Mm. kind of going and trying different things because, because she was kind of ready to give up. So there's definitely like really great cases I've seen where, again, along the lines of like, there's great doctors and providers, like, absolutely, I think like it, it's crazy, I think how much help can come from a supportive spouse and again how much harm can come from an unsupportive spouse or partner or friend or whatever kind of relationship it wherever you're getting your support from if it's good support or kind of negative support it's definitely going to help or it's definitely going to either foster your progress or hinder it yep agreed agreed um well guys i think that that's about a wrap so we talked about red flags from other people today. And like I said, next time, we're going to talk about some um, red flags in the sense of like, evaluating your own thoughts and feelings and behaviors and keeping your eyes peeled for kind of red flaggy stuff with that. So we're kind of labeling it like external and internal right. red flags, we might even throw in a couple of miscellaneous ones we forgot today next time we'll see. We'll see where the tides take us in the next episode. But as always, thank you so much for listening. If you're on YouTube, like the videos, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, Check out our other videos. If you're on an audio only podcasting platform like Apple Podcasts, we would deeply, deeply appreciate a five star review if you think we earned it. And I will see you and I will see my dear Amy on the next episode of the IBS Freedom Podcast. Toodaloo.